Welcome to Executive Tools, Executive Missteps, Chapter 1, Calendar Chaos, Part 1. This cast answers these questions. What mistakes do new executives commonly make? How can I manage the new pressure on my calendar? How can I get everything done? Well, if you want to answer these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Mark, if people listening are like me, there are a number of missteps that newer executives <laughs> tend to make, and I've made them yeah. all. I, I noticed during the intro, one of the questions that I wrote and you read was, how can I get everything done? And the answer to that is, you cannot. You cannot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the uh, uh, executives' calendars, right? Yeah. And, and if managers' calendars are algebra, then executive cal calendars got to be calculus, right? I mean, it's so much harder. Yeah. And I've been talking about calendars for years, and I just feel like I've, you know, in some ways, I'm kind of like a brick wall. I, I talk to people about their calendars, and they just don't get it. <laughs> they, 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 um, there is an incredible passivity around calendars that I don't, no, I, I understand it. And I, I, I feel for people, but. But it's not effective, right? It just bothers you because it's not effective. They're, yeah. yeah. This idea that your calendar is the place where all your meetings go is just ludicrous. I mean, it, it, it does happen to be the place where meetings are captured. Wait a minute. Wait, if it's not for meetings, not what, what is it for? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please yeah. tell me. Well, I, I made the statement to an executive a number of years ago that I said, well, your priorities aren't on your calendar. And she said, yeah, yeah, they are. I said, where's the fam? Where's your family? Yeah. I said, do you have a personal calendar? I said, no. So what are your, she's, I keep all that in my head. I said, oh, that's okay. There, that's good. a good idea. That's not good. <laughs> I said, like, what, what nights a week do you go home when? I said, well, you know, that's flexible. I said, okay. You really, mm -hmm. yeah, your priorities are not in your calendar. And if they're flexible, they're not really your priorities now, are they? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, too many new execs carry their same calendar habits into the executive when they get promoted to an executive and they quickly feel like they're drowning and that's not good. And it's because there's no charm school like there is for general officers in the army. I assume there is one in the Navy. They don't teach you how to be an executive. They mimic you sign some forms, but they don't teach you. And so we thought we'd help and it's an important change that you make when you become an executive. So anyway, so here's our outline. First of all, we want to cover, this is chapter one, part of a continuing series. I want to lay out the executive calendar trap. I've said this before in various other podcasts, but never really with clarity around the outcome, so on. Then the two things you've got to do is take control of your future. I think that's really important. And you got to learn to delegate and say no. Yeah. Now let's be let's be clear here. This is um, part of a series, but folks, that we're we're not we're not going to do the series in any particular order. So don't yeah. necessarily assume that this is number one. Yeah. No. It's just it just happened to be one that I just had a conversation about last week, and I was frustrated. This person says, "You know, I just can't seem to get everything done." I said, "Send me your calendar." So he did, and it was a. It was a disaster. Disaster. It was, right. it was I can't even. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah. uh, you know, cats and dogs in the street. I mean, I it's like this is. I can't even. I don't know what this. It's like when Kramer got fired on Seinfeld, 
And his boss says, oh, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. And he says, this document, this, this report you created, I'm not even <laughs> sure what it is. <laughs> I'm not sure you have any business training at all. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. Of course, the great thing about it was they weren't paying him either. Anyway, when I explained to him about it, he was like, yeah, I've heard that before, but I just figured, you know, you didn't really understand or whatever. Like, okay, well, fine. So, so I was exercised. That's why I decided to write this one. Yeah, one one note by the way, folks. What we talk about these podcasts are not a result of Mark just sitting in a dark room <laughs> and thinking <laughs> for years That's on good. what would be good topics. Yeah, almost all of it comes from his time with executives and managers all around the world. This is real life stuff, not made up theoretical. BS. Yeah. 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 So. And, uh, you know, well, it's not rocket science. And if we, if we could grab a bunch of executives and put them in a room and ask them a thousand questions, we'd all learn all this stuff too. So, yeah, like you said, this is not an order of importance. We're going to try to make them short and clear and direct. My idea when I was writing these is for each executive out there and, and manager for that matter to listen, assess whether or not this is a problem for them, and then listen to those that resonate. If you're a manager and you're listening to executive tools, there is nothing I'm going to say, we're going to say in these, that I would not recommend to a manager. There's nothing wrong with you getting on the new S-curve early. Yeah. Nothing wrong at all. <laughs> Lots so of said for don't, that. Don't, yeah, don't, be, don't, don't hesitate in that regard. Yeah, I wouldn't want to start thinking like an executive. I'm only a yeah, no, God, you know, because I'm only a manager. Right now. I wouldn't want to get above my station. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what do I mean when I say the executive calendar trap? Uh, we've been saying for years here that when you become an exec, you get on a different S curve. Okay, if you don't know, um, I, we don't have time to explain it now, but innovation and human development and so on follow an S-curve trend where you go, you start relatively slow, think of an S, it's relative, a one that's sort of flat rather than super curvy at the top and bottom. And, and um, it's relatively slow growth. And then there's very, very fast growth. And then there's some death toward the end. And one of the important human insights of growth, development, expansion, improvement, and so on, is you've got to learn to get on a different S-curve when your first S-curve starts to flatten out. And individual contributor is one S-curve, and manager is another S-curve, and executive is another S-curve, and CEO would be another one, and board member would be another one, and so on. And one of the important distinctions about being an executive and there are trappings of this when you become an executive. Uh, you're no longer simply just yourself with some responsibility for some other people within the organization. Now, you represent the organization, l'état c'est moi. Too many managers, and what happens is you're, you're, the organization thinks of you as being on a different S-curve, but you don't. You just think of it as a stepwise progression rather than holy Toledo, a, you know, a complete change. You think of it as going from Philadelphia to New York. Your organization thinks of it as going you from Philadelphia to Abu Dhabi. <laughs> 
too many managers keep doing what they're doing. And look, it is so logical to do that. Every time you get promoted, a la the tragedy, the welder, every time you get promoted, like, well, they're rewarding me for what I'm doing, so I'll just do more of it. No, that's not how it works. This is particularly, this is where that Mm. logic will break. You can get away with that up until the executive promotion, but after executive, you can't do it. The rules on your new S-curve are different. And Marsha Goldsmith, the very successful executive coach, titled his executive coaching book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Like, hey guys, different game now, sorry. And if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to fail. And we'll probably give you a financial kiss on the cheek and wish you well. But and by the way, you'll resign rather than getting fired because it's too embarrassing to fire executives. But yeah, that's what happens. So what happens to your calendar when you become an exec? The first thing is your workload triples. So as an aside, folks, if you think you're an executive, but your workload hasn't tripled, that may mean you're not an executive. First, you have a much bigger, and and where does that workload come from? First, you've got a much bigger organization. You know, maybe you had 300 people before and now you have, say, 1,000, okay? You might assume it's 10 to 20, 30% harder. No, it's 300% harder. How is that? What's the math on that? Yeah. Well, it's three times bigger, right? From 300 to 1,000. But look, you can't solve that problem with time. You cannot. Okay, you got three times as many people. You now are expected to know the caliber qualities, strengths, and weaknesses, and the next one to two to three years worth of opportunities for that person internally in the organization for all the people that all the managers you're responsible for. You know, that starts adding up. You know, I I think if you had 10 managers, you could probably keep that in your head. If you have a hundred, the idea that you're keeping that in your head is ludicrous. Yeah. You're, You're not doing that. Yeah. Now, look, we're not saying you have to spend three times as much time on your internal organization. I often relate the the size and the, what's the word, the growth of organizations to a sphere. A sphere is, in, is, you, is, the, is the three-dimensional object that has the highest volume to surface area ratio. And what people don't realize is, organizations grow like spheres in that the surface area, if the, if the sphere is growing, the surface area is getting bigger. And that's what everybody talks about, the surface area. But the volume is getting bigger faster. It's cubed versus squared, I think. And that's why organizations struggle to continue to grow fast, in part because so much energy is spent on internal issues separate from the fact that when you get to be as big as Walmart, in order to grow as as much as Walmart had grown 10 years ago, they had to add two Fortune 20 companies to their bottom line in the next year. It's just very, very difficult to do. And by the way, they have to choose new S-curves, quite frankly. And since we're recording this today on the 10th of January, yesterday was the 15th anniversary of Steve Jobs' announcement about the iPhone. It's January 9th. Talk about an S-curve change for a company. 
right? Yeah, that no has led kidding. to, I think, didn't Apple just pass the three trillion three trillion dollar, dollar valuation? Valuation. Yeah. I don't think five years ago there was anybody with one. I think it was Apple and Microsoft vying for one. That's right. And now That's they're right. three. Yeah. God bless them. It's been great to be a grain of sand on the longest beach in the world to be somehow contributing to that over the years. And you might be thinking, well, wh why is that about the sphere and internal conflict and so on? It's, well, I can give you a thousand different rationales, but I'll, I'll give you a simple one. The people problems you're going to face as an executive are not a function how many, of how many people you have in your org. It's never the number of people. It's the number of relationships in your org. Mm. And Metcalf's law tells you, which, which empowered the fax machine, by the way, tells you as the people goes up, the relationships go up faster. I tell people all the time about their kids. I say, look, people ask me, my three kids, people ask me, well, how many kids? So, well, the first rule about kids is if good people don't have more kids, then that's not good for the world. Secondly, if you're wondering how many kids to have, the answer is the third one is a problem. The first one is not a problem. The second one, you that kind of works out, assuming they're fairly close together in age, couple of years, whatever. But here's the thing. It's not the number of kids. It's the number of relationships between the kids. When you have one kid, there are zero kid relationships in your house. You're good. When you have two kids, there is only one relationship in your house. But when you get to a third kid, and, and people just don't think this way. They think, well, it's just 50% more kids. No, it's not. It's triple the number of relationships. Instead of just A to B, you've got A to B, B to C, and A to C. So it's the relationships in your org that are the problem. That's what causes conflict. So that's one thing leading to the tripling. What's more, if you ever want to get out of the executive calendar trap, you're going to have to stop solving people problems and develop a culture that solves them before they become problem. Yeah. That's why the number of relationships becomes pretty uh, important. Right? Yeah. And I just, and right, you're not a manager anymore, right? You're a leader. And, and if you're a leader, you got to figure out, you know, people say, I, I, I don't have time for my initiatives. I'm too busy solving problems. Okay, stop solving the problems. Make one of your initiatives. How can I get rid of that? Well, by the way, one of the ways to do that is improve your hiring, clearly. And look, some of this you can address with some organizational operating mechanisms and, frankly, being willing to fire people. But not all of it. So you're still going to have a burden on your calendar. Also, your workload now includes corporate responsibilities. And by the way, just for the record, we use corporate not in the capitalistic sense, but rather referring to the corpus, the whole body, the entire entity versus simply that part of the org for which you're responsible. You're going to be put on committees, and that means meetings, right? You will both represent your division at that meeting and then be expected to have the perspective of one of the leaders of the entire corporate body. Sounds like um, you might have some more pressure on your calendar as a result I know, of that. It's just great. Look, and people are like, whoa, you know, I, I didn't know that. No kidding, you didn't know that. No executive goes around and whines about, I've got three times more work than I didn't. 
you know, you're going to lose one third of the time on your calendar to those meetings. One third, they're going to take it away. If your workload triples and you lose a third of the time on your calendar that normally would be yours, what does that work out to? As the comedy line goes, you do the math, right? There's no stepwise way into managing an executive calendar. And that's what most managers do. They think of it, okay, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And big balls start to drop really, really fast. Yeah. Now, and then people say to me, well, look at, look at my calendar this week and next. It's so, it's so full. I, I can't, you know. And by the way, a week from now, I'm pretty sure the next week will be full. I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> Why are you acting as if it's some other alien being that, that it magically happens as opposed to you get to do whatever the heck you want on your calendar. Whatever you want. You could do whatever you want. So do it. And then people yeah. go, okay, what should I do? <laughs> Our next point is um, take control of your future. And when I was reading the show notes, dude, I was I was thinking about an experience I had flying. Mm. I think I think you'll get this. Those you don't know, I, I I fly. I used to fly quite a bit. And at one point, I had a a Cessna, and nothing wrong with Cessna. Great, great, great plane. But it's kind of an entry level plane, right? And then I went from I got convinced by a a former friend of mine I was going to buy a uh, beach bonanza, which is yeah. a little faster, a little more complex, like three times as much power. So anyways, I was doing takeoffs, practicing takeoffs and landings. And I had this experience of just everything was happening so fast. I, I thought I was doing okay in the session. I got in the bonanza and everything happened super fast. When I'm going faster, it's got three times more power. It's more complex, right? All I had to do really worry about is kind of keeping on track in the Cessna, keep on yeah. track. I had power to worry about and I had to worry about my flaps. Well, in the Bonanza, I'm going instead of 70 miles, 70 knots, I'm going 90 knots. I'm still going a ton faster. I have less time. I have more power. If I make a mistake, this is kind of executive life. If if I make a mistake, oh, that yeah. mistake gets big really, really yeah. fast, right? Because you're moving faster, right? Yeah. It's more complex and it just felt like I was going a million miles an hour. Yeah. And then I got good at it, right? Relatively well. I didn't crash. I'm still alive. So I got fairly yeah. well good at it. And then I got in the, I still had both planes at the time. I got back in the Cessna a couple months later, and it felt like I was going slow yeah. as molasses. And that was back before Mark and I started a company, and I had time to do things like yeah. go flying. So no longer. I do, I do look forward to you picking that up again. I would like to. I loved it. I lo oh, nothing better. And that's what, that's what executive life is like. More complex. You're moving yeah. fast. Mistakes happen really fast. And they get big really fast. I'm pretty sure, dude, that a few weeks ago, if, I, if we haven't recorded it, Either I've written it or I have the outline here somewhere for a future cast that one of my core criteria for effective executives is decisiveness. And I believe that there are a lot of high C's that don't become more senior executives because they don't develop the habit of decisiveness. It's an oversimplification and it's an exaggeration, but they want to boil the ocean all the time. That's right. Yeah. No, nope, you have a decision right now. You have five minutes. That's it. 
well, I'd like to, no, you got yeah, five nope. minutes. Then things are moving too fast. You got to decide. No, it's a big issue for high seas. And if you haven't internalized your priorities, if you haven't internalized how those priorities fit into the organization, if you haven't sat down and thought about the schema, about the relationships of the various priorities and initiatives and so on, you can't make decisions about them. And what happens is you go into being an executive stepwise, you're thrilled with the raise and you're thrilled that you're now part of the pack and you're, you're thrilled that you're now part of some executive special compensation scheme, so on. But believe me, there's no free lunch, as Milton Friedman said. One of my heroes, by the way. Yeah. Well, you got to move a lot faster. You know, it's interesting. I, this is, is certainly a rabbit hole, perhaps. But I was thinking this this week, we were, t- we were talking a little bit about this and the decision-making. I think high seas want all the data, right? And they don't. Yeah, no. But because <laughs> they don't, they'll never have all the data, number one. Right. And so at some point, they need to develop some kind of intuition. Well, the ho- problem with high seas, let's say folks not familiar with DISC, can't imagine you'd be listening to this cast, not be familiar with DISC, but perfectionist, in- perfectionist and more introverted than, yeah. say, say, others. All perfectionists are introverted. <laughs> because of their desire, like liking to be alone, they don't go out and develop those relationships, those hundreds of relationships. Right. And therefore, they never they don't get all that input, and they never develop the connections between everything that allow them to make quick judgments based on experience and wisdom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you used a good analogy. I, I have one that working with the NFL, I learned, and I just thought it was so good. When new quarterbacks come into the NFL, they are amazed at the speed. They did it backwards from you. They, you know, they, they come into the NFL. If you don't concern, can think about their college time being a Cessna, um, they come <laughs> in and suddenly they're in a bonanza. And veteran quarterbacks often take them aside and say, it will slow down. But to the point, it's not slowing down. It's you getting faster. That's right. right. What happens is they learn and they begin to see patterns and they speed up themselves. And the same is necessarily true for executives. If you don't do that, if you're not seeing things conceptually and understanding how things interact, cash flows and initiatives and projects and customer data and financials and social data and so on, if you're not putting all that stuff together, sort of using some synesthesia that the organization hopes you've developed over your last 10 or 15 or 20 years, uh, it's going to feel like it comes at you pretty fast, a la Ferris Bueller. So for executives, we have to change what we do to speed up, to handle the new change, the new stress. Thanks, everyone. We'll finish this up in the next two weeks. Have a great one. Have a great one.